Uh, if you don't mind, I'd like to start out with a little story. You guys good with that? A little story time? Bring you back? Okay, cool. Uh, there was this guy named Jack, and uh, there was this one day where he was driving down a country road. It was kind of at nighttime, and he was out of cell service. And, uh, you know, he was having a good day, but then he got a flat tire, and he didn't have a spare in the back of his trunk. And so he was pretty frustrated, as you can imagine, right? So he gets out of his car, and uh, he looks around, and he's in the middle of nowhere. Like I said, woods are surrounding him. And then he notices uh, some some smoke coming out from a uh, chimney from a, from a cabin. And so he decides, you know what, all right, well, uh, maybe they can help me. So he starts walking toward that cabin. And as he's walking, um, he, he start, some things start coming to mind to him. Maybe he, he, he starts thinking that maybe this person's going to be angry with him, you know, that he's, you know, interrupting his time, uh, you know, doing whatever he's doing. Maybe, maybe it's uh, dinner time. Uh, maybe he'd be irritated. He doesn't know. Um, and then he starts thinking, this guy's probably going to harm me uh, just because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in the middle of the nowhere. Uh, then he starts thinking, he asks this question. Who would live in the middle of the woods in a cabin by themselves? Who would do that? And he starts thinking, this, this person is probably a menace to society. This has probably got super big problems. Uh, but he keeps walking. <laughs> and so he's worked himself up to that point, And he comes up to the door and he knocks on the door and opens the door. There's a man that opens the door. And as he looks at this man, he punches him in the face and runs away. Now, I know that's probably a little over the top, right? But maybe not. You see, Jack is a worrier. He's a worry wart, as some of us would say. He has a tendency that when he's dealing with difficulties of any kind, he begins to play scenarios in his mind and always begins to go toward the worst possible end. And I think probably many of us do that too. Anybody would, willing to admit it? Oh, good. I was, I was thinking maybe you would uh, contemplate that and think that maybe everyone would judge you uh, as you raised your hand. Um, but I think we all have like a tendency to be like Jack in certain situations. We all have a tendency to be warriors. Um, you know, I've never, I, I think I can relate to Jack. I've never gone up to a house and punched the resident who answered the, answered the door. But I have dealt with anxiety to the point where I felt like I was punching myself in the face. Anybody been there? Yeah, you feel like you just can't get away from yourself, let alone anyone else. Um, so I think we all have had struggles with anxiety. At least I have. Um, there's been years-long bouts I've dealt with of depression. And uh, up until this past spring, I've never dealt with, like, anxiety. I think if, if any of you who have, have dealt with both, you probably admit or you probably, you know, agree with me that there's a difference between depression and anxiety. Um, but this past spring... I was dealing in a season, and it was weird because I didn't really know why, but there was multiple times every single day for months that I would forget to breathe. Like everything around me just felt like it was crashing in on me, and I would have to remind myself to breathe. I would do that over and over and over again every single day, and I didn't know why. And for a person who likes to fix things um, and, you know, make things better— it was frustrating. I felt helpless and hopeless. And, and it just felt like you ever felt that way? Like you're going through your day and you feel everyone who you come into contact with is out to get you. You ever been there? They, they didn't do anything to make you think that, but you begin to start thinking they're out to get me or they don't like me or they're judging me or anything like that. Anybody ever been there? Maybe you're there now. Maybe you've been dealing with some anxiety and you just are trying to escape it and you don't know how. And and it's just been aching at you and eating at you. I, 
I've been there. It's no fun, is it? Maybe you're like me. You have a fear of failing. Like, that's your greatest fear. Like, spiders, whatever. Um, But I did see on Facebook, there's this ginormous spider. It probably freaked me out. Um, But anyway, like, fear of failing. Like, I'm so bad at this that when it came time to, in high school, our senior year, um, I was one of the baseball captains, right? And so we always have, I'm sure you guys have seen this, high school students especially, um, you have like t-shirts for your sports team and your season, and you have, you, you decide to put like a saying, an inspirational saying, a motivational saying on the back. You guys know what I'm taking, talking about? Well, I decided, I proposed the idea of this statement, never accept good enough, Never accept good enough. And that's been kind of my life motto, uh, so to speak. And, but the thing is, like, I think that can be, you know, pretty good. Some of you are like, yeah, that's, that's good stuff. Um, but in my uh, mission of never accepting good enough with the things that I do, it can easily turn into failed expectations. That I can, I can get to the point where I don't do rest very well. I don't do relaxation very well. You can ask my wife. It's hard for me to take a day off because my mind just keeps going. Because I'm always thinking, how can I do this better? How can I do this better? Is, is this as good as I can do? And so some of you may have a fear of failing. Like everything that you do, even though it could be like purpose-filled and, and you, know, you feel good when you do it, it could be hijacked by the idea that you never accept good enough to the point where you don't ever, you pay attention more to that, like your failures, than you do the thing that you're doing that is good that's making an impact in someone's life. Maybe I'm the only one, but fear of failure is a big thing for me. I don't know what your fear is. I don't know what the thing is in your life that, that causes you to worry, causes you to play mind games in your mind where you start playing scenarios and then Every time it goes to the worst possible end, like, you know, it could be that you ran out of bread and you end up at the point where you, you know, everyone's going to die. I don't know what it is for you. I think we all have things in our lives that press our worry button. Would you agree? And some of us, you know, we have a lot of things. Um, some of us have a few things that press our worry button. But I think we all deal with, at some point or another, the conflict, the tension of worry of anxiety, of even depression. And I don't know what that is that, that causes you to do that. What, I don't know, what is it in a given day that makes, makes it hard for you to breathe? Maybe some of you can relate to this idea that you could just be going through your day. You don't even know why, but you feel like a lot of tightness in your chest and it's not because of some medical thing other than just you feel pressure, you feel anxiety, you don't remember to breathe. I don't know what it is for you, Um, But here's the thing, if you've ever gone through a day and you've desired more peace and less anxiety and less worry, then my hope and prayer is that today will be helpful for you. Um, Because we've been in a series called Citizenship the last few weeks, and what we've been doing is simply walking through the book of Philippians. And um, I highly encourage you, if you've not kind of kept with us on this, to definitely go back and watch some of the other the sermons uh, from it, because I think it's going to be very helpful as you piece together everything from today. But our goal with this series has been simply this, that for those of us who are followers of Jesus, we are citizens of heaven first, and we are residents in this world. And that has implications beyond just like, oh, that's nice, but it has implications based on how we conduct ourselves, how we live our lives. And so we've been trying to discover what it looks like to actually live in light of the reality that we are citizens of heaven if we are in Christ. 
And so we're going to continue today. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 4. So if you have a Bible uh, or if you have your smartphone or you want to watch the screen, uh, definitely get ready for that. Philippians chapter 4. Before we get to that, though, um, we're going to go back a little bit in Philippians chapter 3 and just see where Paul is in this conversation. Because uh, these letters that we're looking at, this is a letter that he wrote to this church in Philippi, these Christians. And uh, it's one whole conversation. It wasn't, he didn't divide it in chapters and verses, but it was just one letter that they read uh, together. And so let's, let's kind of piece this together. Philippians chapter 3, we'll start in verse 17, and we'll kind of walk through a little bit of chapter 4. This is what it says. Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, these people, they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, because of all this, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. So from that paragraph, Paul Explains that there are two types of people in this world. There are those on one hand who live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their God is their belly. Their end is destruction. Their minds are set on earthly things. And then he says, but you, because he's speaking to a church filled with Christ followers, just like us here today, but you are citizens of heaven. And as citizens of heaven, you have something to look forward to. He says, as citizens of heaven, you have something amazing, unbelievable in store for your future because your Savior is returning. And not only that, but he is going to transform us into people who have heavenly bodies so that we are equipped and ready to go into heaven with him. And so he's kind of laying this foundation that there are two types of people, and he's encouraging the Christ followers that they are citizens of heaven, and so that has implications on where we put our hope. Because the enemies of the cross, they put their minds on earthly things. And so as we continue in walking through this, I think um, we'll see that he's, he's trying to encourage us that the ways of the world can distract us from trusting in and hoping in the one who has changed us, but we need not let them. And instead, we need to look and realize that we are destined for an eternity in the presence of the Almighty. So he's saying, keep your citizenship, your true reality in your grasp. Do not leave it. Hold on to it. Hold tight to it. And so if you've been tracking with us through Philippians, and hopefully you've been reading it at home uh, on your own, um, he's, Paul's been stressing the importance of unity. He, he, he uses the, the phrase, have the same mind. And so he's trying to encourage them that the things that they can agree upon, they should think upon those things and have a unity in the church and have a unity on what they believe and what they understand God to be doing. And he's also telling them to, to, to be selfless, to conduct ourselves in a, worthy, in a manner that's worthy of the calling that we have as citizens of heaven. 
And he's also encouraging us to not look at ourselves as people who have arrived, but people who are on a journey going towards what Christ is calling us to. And then now, <laughs> this, is, this is really interesting. Um, Paul reveals like the specific situation. You know, there's been this theme of unity and having the same mind and being selfless and seeing that you haven't arrived. And you can imagine that those things are contributing to uh, this situation that he's about to share with us. A very real situation that he's addressing, but he's using it as a teachable moment for us all here. So this is what it says. This is actually, I don't know if I should feel like it's funny or if it's, I feel sorry for the ladies uh, that are in this. Um, just here, here it is. I entreat Yudia and I entreat Syntyk. I don't know if that's how you say her name. To agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, to help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. You, you just have to understand this, okay? Um, Paul wrote these letters so that they would be read publicly in a gathering like this, right? And, and it appears that these ladies are having such a disagreement that it's, it, it was so bad that Paul decides to call them out publicly. It would be like me using one of you as a, as a sermon illustration of what not to do right? It would not be good. Many of you would be like, what? person would feel terrible, and everyone else would be like, that's, that's really mean, right? But it appears that, like, as he talks about them, that he is, actually has a really deep relationship with them, that he's coming at it from a perspective not to embarrass them, but to encourage them, not to uh, make them feel bad about what they're doing, but to call them back to an agreement in the Lord, and so there's a deep relationship. He uses words like my joy and my crown, beloved, and whom I love. And so there's definitely a deep connection here. And so he's not just like calling these ladies out um, just for the sake of doing that. But it's important to note that these women were not outsiders. They were not coming into church and, you know, they, they were just kind of like checking things out. In fact, they were... They were devoted followers of Jesus. They were working alongside of Paul in his ministry as equals to what he was doing. And so these are devoted followers of Jesus who are having a disagreement. And it was so bad that it appears as though they were causing disunity in the whole church. And that's why Paul addresses it. And so it's interesting that they were going through that and he says what he says. Um, but then... Uh, it's important. Let's, let me look at this. Let me read this to you. Gordon Fee, a Bible commentator, wrote this uh, in regards to this passage. He says this. The gospel is ever and always at stake in our world. And the call to God's people, whose names are written in the book of life, is to live that life now in whatever Philippi and in the face of whatever opposition it is found. Because notice what he does. is He, he urges them to meet with this fellow worker of Paul's, we don't know who, who it was, but uh, to agree on the Lord and to realize that they have their names written in the book of life. That the thing that they are disagreeing on here and now, really in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't really matter. And so he's calling them to agree on the things that they can agree upon so that they can get back to the work that God is calling them to do. And so he uses that as a specific situation. I can just imagine there would have been a lot of gasps, a lot of surprised looks on people's faces as that was brought up. Because everyone would have known what he was talking about. 
And so it's interesting that he uses that specific situation. We kind of get a glimpse of what he's getting at. But he calls them, let's get back to what truly matters. Your names are written in the book of life. This is this matter you're disagreeing upon. Whatever it is, it doesn't matter in the grand scheme. So live your lives as a reflection of that truth. You ever, you ever been at odds with someone? You ever had a disagreement with anybody? Okay. Only a few of you. Cool. Um, that's awesome. Uh, yeah. Uh, I have. And it's no fun. Some of you, though, are wired in a way that uh, if you disagree with someone, if someone disagrees with you, um, or if you have some kind of, you know, strife with someone, that affects you tremendously in a bad way. Like, that hurts your feelings. You are on the verge of super sadness, right? And others of you, like, you're the type of person who you don't really care. Like, if someone disagrees with you, it's like, whatever, Anyone, anyone that person, like if anyone disagrees with you or doesn't like you, you don't care? Okay, yeah, I don't like you people, right? Because <laughs> I'm the first type, right? I'm kidding, I, don't, I, I like you. But even, even if I continue to say I didn't like you, you wouldn't care, right? <laughs> but, you know, depending on how we're wired, this could really affect us. Affect us. Okay, so these two women, they're having a disagreement, right? And Paul calls them out a little bit. And he's calling them to agree in the Lord, to live as those whose names are written in the book of life because they are. And, and he doesn't leave it at that, though. He goes on, and I think this, this is at that point where he kind of expands the situation to where even if you're not right now presently in a situation where you're disagreeing with someone or you have strife uh, in a relationship, he's broadening the, uh, the perspective so that we are all included here, okay? So he kind of de- dove down deep into, into their situation, but now he's going to broaden it a little bit for us. And this is what he says. He goes on in verse 4. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. What does he say? Always. Again, I will say, what does he say? Rejoice. So the problem when we allow like disagreements to go to the extent that we allow them to create disunity, either in our relationship with that person or even in a group as big as a church or just as maybe a, a few people, we allow them to go to the extent that we do because we are placing our joy in our pride. We're placing our joy in our pride. In other words, we place our worth in being right and in being heard. And I think when we do that, we are setting up ourselves for misery instead of joy. Because joy placed in the wrong place leads to misery in a matter of a moment. Many of you, you've experienced this. So instead of rejoicing and being right or in being heard, we must rejoice in the Lord to put our joy in him. And as a person who loves being right, this is really hard. Because I have to let go. And, and agree on what we can agree upon. Especially when you have strife with another believer. This is that foundation you have to go back to, to get past that disunity. So instead of letting that feeling of strife affect you, we need to turn our gaze to the one who's on the throne and rejoice in him. He goes on in verses 5 through 7, he says this, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. 
The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So, if you're here today and you've ever wanted more peace in your life, if you ever wanted to have less anxiety, less worry in your life, then we can't miss this passage in the next one. We just can't miss this. Because he's saying instead of letting that feeling of anxiety take over every nook and cranny of your life, we need to go to God in prayer. And not just any prayer, but he gives us a recipe for a promise-infused prayer, a prayer with a promise attached to it. So if you're here today and you struggle with like knowing what to pray about, then this is going to be good because he gives us a recipe for what that looks like. In verse 6, he says this. Just go back to it. Do not be anxious about anything. For those of us who struggle with anxiety, this kind of seems a little disingenuous. Can, can I get an amen? But he doesn't leave it there. Just stop it, right? He says, but in everything, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Make your requests known to God. And he gives us this, this recipe for a promise-infused prayer. The first thing he tells us, and I'm using these words from uh, a guy by the name of Warren Wearsby. He's a pastor, author, writer, uh, written a bunch of stuff, really good stuff. Um, but the first, the first step to a promise-infused prayer is adoration. Because when he says, by prayer, prayer, that word is, is you know, we think of, okay, I'm going to pray to God. But really what that's getting the idea of is devotion, worship, and adoration to God. There's a reason why Jesus, when, when he was teaching his disciples how to pray, he started with, Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And we don't use, you know, hallowed be, hallowed. We don't use that word very often. But basically what he's saying is, Our Father, you're in heaven, right? Make your name holy, or you, your name is holy. In other words, you are separate from us. He's adoring God. And when we are dealing with the difficulties in life, then our response needs to be a prayer that begins with adoration. Because in that, we are giving honor to God, but we are also reminding ourselves of the truth that God is greater than the problems we're facing right here. That he is beyond the, the situations that we are facing in the here and now. So we need to go to God with adoration to begin with. And then he says another word, supplication. Prayer and supplication. So supplicate, another word we don't usually use, but basically it comes out the idea that it's, it's, it's a request. We make requests or we ask something. We plead for something earnestly and humbly. And so out of adoration comes our, our request. So we begin with acknowledging who God is, what he is all about, and then we come to him and say, God, this is what, I, this is what I'm dealing with. And then he goes to this, appreciation. He said, with thanksgiving, right? And I don't know about you, but for me, when, when I'm dealing with some kind of difficulty, the last thing I want to do is be thankful, right? Because when we're dealing with difficulties, that's, that doesn't feel good. It causes us not to be thankful. That's why we're going to God. But the thing is, we need to be appreciative of the things he's already done in our lives and the things he's doing in our lives right here now. 
And so it's, it's with that promise-infused prayer that we respond to the feelings of worry and the feelings of anxiety. But look at the promise that comes with this way of praying to our Heavenly Father. This is what he says in verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Don't you think it would be reassuring to know that the creator of the universe, the God who is all-powerful, all-wonderful, all-gracious, all-loving, just, holy, is guarding your heart and your mind with his peace in the midst of difficulties in this world? Would that, would, that be, would that be good? I think so. And I think this is what we need. It's the only way that we can really experience true joy in this world is by putting our joy in him and not in our situations. To put our joy in the God of peace. And I want you to just think about how great this is. For those of you who are Christ followers, think about how great this is. Because Romans 5.1 says this. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So for those of us who have tasted of the grace of God, we have peace with God, but he's taking it to another level. He's not just leaving it as like we're good, right? He's taking it to something deeper than that. He's saying not only do we have peace with God, but now we have the peace of God who is guarding our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. In other words, not only is the peace between us and God, like we're good, but also God has decided to guard our hearts and our minds with his peace, the peace that can extinguish the worries and anxieties of this world. It's not just we're good, but it's I got you. I'm gonna go to bat for you. I've got your back in this, through this, to get you out of this. It's not just I saved you, but it's I'm still saving you. God's work in you and through you is not over. It is still going on. So if you're, if you're here today, you're struggling with worry, anxiety, problems, difficulties, I want you to know that God has not left you. God may be using that as a way to work in you so that you would trust him even more through those things that you are dealing with. God does not simply save us and say, good luck, with the rest of your life. He is giving us his peace to guard our hearts and minds. Hearts and minds. It's interesting that uh, he doesn't say that the peace of God is guarding our hearts, minds, and our body. Right? Isn't that interesting? And and not to like diminish the importance of our body because we are the temple of God, but it's almost as if he is saying that if you have the peace of God guarding your heart and mind, maybe God is looking at those two things as a little bit more uh, of a priority. Because think about Paul's situation right now. He is imprisoned. His body is wasting away. He's probably dealing with some things uh, physically. Probably not getting the best medical care. But even in the midst of that, the physical problems that he's facing, it appears as though his heart and his mind are in a good place. And so he's lived, he has lived the reality of what he's teaching us. So Paul's imprisoned and eventually would be killed for his faith in Christ. And yet he has given encouragement to these Christians in Philippi. It's interesting that he uses the, the like imagery of guard, of, an, of a guard. 
because it's likely that as he's writing this, he's got someone guarding him to keep him from getting away. And it's, and it's almost like he's saying, you know what? No matter how good the guard is from, get, from me getting away, I've got a better guard guarding my heart and mind. And whatever you do to me, whatever you do to me, it doesn't matter. My faith, my hope, my trust is not wavering from Christ. I think that's really powerful. And to make things even better, he goes on to say this in verses 8 and 9, is what he says. <clears throat> Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is any worthy, anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. We, we probably all, like, dealt with negative thoughts kind of coming into our minds, right? Some of us, we, do, we deal with that on a daily basis. It's almost like a, like a virus in a computer. Those negative thoughts come into our lives, and, and it impacts not just, you know, our minds, but then our feelings and uh, the way we even physically feel. And, and Paul knows this, and he's dealt with this, and so he's kind of given us the antivirus software to deal with the problems that come in our lives. And he's thing, saying things like, think on true things, honorable things, right things, pure things, lovely things, reputable things, excellent things, praiseworthy things. Like things that have substance. Not, it's not like just think of a unicorn and a rainbow, but something deeper than that, something better than that, something that has a foundation that is strong. But let me propose to you that the only way for you to truly know what is good to think about, the only way to really practice this is to have your life, your daily life, saturated in the Word of God. Because the things that we think that are good, the things that we think are true and honorable and worthy of praise, a lot of times we miss the boat on that. But if we are saturating ourselves with the word of God, then we'll have a built-in warning system when we begin to think on things that are outside of what he would want us to think about. And then we can get back to thinking on good things. And don't miss the promise that comes with us. He says in verse 9, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace... The God of peace will be with you. Not just somewhere far off looking down upon you, but we will be with you. With you. So here it is. We have peace with God. He's also given us his peace in the face of the world's anxieties and worries. And he has decided to give us the gift of his presence here and now. So I think we're pretty equipped, right, to go through whatever it is that we go through and come out the other side pretty well. And, and really, this is a full picture of the good news. It breaks my heart when we think that the good news, the gospel, is simply the message that Jesus saves us from eternal damnation. Like, it's so much more than that. It definitely includes that. But there are things that we get as followers of Jesus, we get to experience like peace in the midst of problems. Like his presence 
in us and through us, allowing us to have a life of purpose. Like it's so much more than that. Just think about this. That as enemies of his, we used to be enemies of his. We can receive peace with him through what Christ has done. That as people who have renounced our citizenship in this world and have redeemed our citizenship in heaven, we can find refuge in his peace. We can go to that place, his peace, when we are dealing with difficulty. That as people who are foreigners in this world, who will face difficulties, who will not live lives that are full of rainbows and roses, we can seek asylum and find it in the presence of the creator of the entire universe. The God who is full of grace and truth, who is just and loving, who is for us. And that is some really, really good news because this is the hope we cling to, guys. That God is working, that the tr- through the troubles of this world, that they cannot compare to the glory that is to come. It doesn't even compute. But here's the thing. You can't practice what you have not yet learned, and you cannot experience what you have not yet received. I think it's, there's a good reason for Paul to say, what you have learned and received, heard and seen in me. There's a difference between learning something and receiving something. There's a difference between knowing something and actually living into that. Just yesterday, guys, <laughs> um, I had to preach this message to myself constantly. There was, some of you maybe like, you get so worked up about anticipating something that could happen that you, you may not know. Like anybody there, that's what I do. Um, I was anticipating something I was not looking forward to in any way possible. And I thought to myself, Brandon, like you're, you're gonna be sharing these words to uh, everyone here at the crossing uh, tomorrow. So maybe you should practice that too. And so I began to think, okay, I feel terrible. I had to remind myself to breathe. And I said, okay, do not be anxious about anything but by prayer, supplication, thanksgiving, present my you know, requests made known unto God. So I began to do that. I began to go to God with adoration, with, with worshiping him and like knowing, just telling him who he is. And I made my requests known to him. And then I, I thanked him for the things that he had been doing and the things that he has done in my life and the things he is doing in my life. And so if, if you're here today and you, I, I get it, y'all. Like, I felt terrible yesterday. You ever dealt with like gossip or dealt with family issues? None of you. If, if any of you don't do that, then invite me over for Thanksgiving next year, please. <laughs> Is that cool? But just anticipating what could happen was leading me down a road of worry and anxiety. And I thought to myself, Brandon, you've just discovered what is in Philippians 4. And in the past, in the spring, when I was dealing with this, uh, just like a freight train, I didn't know to go to Philippians 4. I didn't, I didn't even yet learn it, yet receive it. And so now that I had read that all throughout the week and was thinking upon it and just, you know, thinking about my past struggles and and maybe the struggles that some of you have right now, I just thought to myself, I've learned this. I know what it says, but have I received it? I think the only way we receive receive this is to start doing it, to start practicing it. And I just had to remind myself that God is greater than this. God's gonna see me through this. He's with me. I'm not alone. 
And, and you know what? I, I wish I could say all the anxiety went away right there. But yeah, but it didn't. It was still there, but as I began to go through the situation that I was in, I think I received encouragement in the fact that I can honor God in the midst of a difficulty, in the midst of something where I want my voice to be heard, but I know that it won't go over well if I do that. And so I had to live in that tension, but I can tell you that it was much better to do that, to go to God in that, to trust him through it, than it was to put my joy and put my hope and my trust in the thing I was worrying about, because that is what I was doing. I was putting, putting my mind in the idea that because of this, my day was going to be ruined. Because of this, a relationship was going to be hurt. Because of this, because of this, because of this. And I had to remind myself, because of God, I can get through it, and I can honor him in the way that I am. So I think with all that said, the truth we all need to receive today is this. The peace of his world, God's world, replaces the panic of ours. The peace of his world replaces the panic of ours. So the question is, which world are you placing your joy in? His world or this world? Because we are citizens of heaven, and as those who are, we are to pray promise-infused prayers that impact our thought life and what we think about, and as a result, we are able to handle adversity completely different than what we were before, before we were citizens of heaven. Gordon Fee said this, I think it's important for uh, us to understand, and especially for those of us who are in this room, and uh, you're like me, uh, like seven years ago, and you're just not really sure about the whole God thing. Um, This is what he said, Gordon Fee. He says, apprehension and fear mark the life of the unbelieving, the untrusting, for whom the present is all there is, and for whom the present is so uncertain. And even though, even for those of you who are like me now, right, we put our hope and trust in our lives in Christ, um, we can still go back to that. We can still have that as what we are putting our hope in. So if you find yourself constantly living in fear and worry, I would encourage you to consider where you are placing your hope. Where you are placing your hope. So just imagine for a moment with me as we move toward the end that you have been arrested and imprisoned for your faith. You didn't do anything wrong. It was good. In fact, your faith was so strong that it got the, you know, attention of people who wanted to put you in prison. And, you know, you can imagine the things that would be going through in your mind, like, why, God, why? Why are you doing this? And, um, well, so much for all my plans and my purpose for my life, you know. I know the plans I have for you, you know, all that. You know, maybe feeling a little bitter, right? Maybe, maybe as you're thinking about how you can live in God's mission, you're thinking, well, I'm behind jail, jail cell, like, uh, you know, these bars. I can't really do anything. Well, if you consider that, you'll be considering what it would have been like to have been Paul. And I wanted to read to you this, this last verse um, toward the end, uh, second to last verse of this letter. And he said this, All the saints greet you, Christians in Philippi, especially those of Caesar's household. Especially those of Caesar's household. Now, Caesar's household is the very group of people who was imprisoning him. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. What would it be like to have a faith that could cause you to see your mission 
even in sharing the good news with someone who's imprisoning you, even with someone who's your enemy. And yet he has turned those enemies into his family. Isn't that amazing? But he practiced what he's preaching to us right now. He practiced what it looks like to experience the peace of God and to experience the presence of the God of peace in the midst of difficulty. So, as we begin to try to pray, promise-infused prayers, keep in mind, as we've been walking through Philippians, we've seen a progression of thought of what it looks like to really live as a Christian, but to live as a citizen of heaven. In order for Paul to go to God with adoration, he had to have the single mind that he talked about in Philippians 1. He had to have his focus simply on God and, and his goodness and his grace. In order for Paul to go to God with supplication, with making his requests known to God. He had to have a selfless heart to where he understood that God is, is greater than his problems and he alone cannot fix it as being Paul, but God needs to be the one on the throne and getting the request because he can't handle it. And in order for him to go to God with appreciation, he had to know the value of knowing Christ, like what we talked about last week. That Christ had to be much better and bigger in, the, in his life than anything else so that he could go to God with true appreciation. And so I don't know where you're at today, but the question we all have to ask ourselves is, is where am I really? Where am I really? Do I have peace with God through Jesus Christ? Do I? If, if your answer is no, then I want to encourage you that today your life can be changed by simply putting your life at the feet of his cross at the feet of him. Because if you are sick and tired of living life and, and, and depending on your own goodness, your own grace, your own uh, ability to deal with the difficulties you are facing, then I want to encourage you that the God of peace desires to bring you and, and transform you into his, his child. And it's not to just give you peace for eternity, but to give you peace here in this place right now. So I'm going to encourage you as I uh, begin to pray after I say amen. There are people down here who are willing to talk to you and, and help you make that decision because our God is so good and he desires to have a relationship with you that goes beyond just uh, he saved me, but it goes so deep that he is on a journey with us here and now. And if your if you're, you know, answer to that question is, yes, I have peace with God through Jesus Christ, and I have some follow-up questions for you. Are you, because this is what I've been asking myself, do I, am I putting my joy in this world or in him? Am I trusting in my circumstances or my savior? Do I truly believe the value of knowing Christ is far more than anything else? Do I actually believe that? Have I not just learned that, but have I received it? So if you're here today and you need peace in your life, I want to encourage you to go to the one who has an endless supply of it, the almighty God who is on the throne, because the peace of his world replaces the panic of ours. And the only question we have to ask ourselves is, do we believe that? Do we believe that? Would you guys pray with me? Father, we come to you acknowledging how great you are, how glorious you are. And I pray that as we just wrestle with the idea that we can have peace in this world from you, even though lately we haven't been experiencing much of that. God, I pray that we would see with eyes of faith and not eyes of fear. That God, that our hearts would be open to what you are trying to do in us 
and through us. And that God, for those of us who are here today and maybe you are not as real to us as, you, as we want you to be. God, I pray that you would open up our eyes, you would open up our hearts and that we would just not just learn your good news, but we would receive your good news. God, thank you for what you're doing in us and through us. And I pray that we can approach worry and anxiety by going to you in prayer, not just today when we're at church and gathered with your people and hearing from your word, but as we go forth into the world where we're gonna deal with difficulties, I pray, God, that you would help us to be reminded of that, that your spirit would preach to us, would preach the truth from your word to us so that we can begin to look to you and not to our circumstances. God, we love you. We thank you for this time. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.